I've just been reading through again your pieces on Joker this morning, which uh-huh. I really enjoyed, and I thought that would be quite a fun place to start for our conversation. Great, and I had thought the same thing. I was thinking about that this morning, and I was wondering if you're going to bring that up, and I thought that also might be a good place to. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's cool. I remember when I first saw that movie, and I was like, okay, this is cool. It feels like a lot of the themes that those of us who are thinking about philosophy, spirituality, and culture all of a sudden appeared in a, in a pop culture movie mm-hmm. for the first time, perhaps. And what I liked in one of the pieces you wrote was about how this perhaps represents the, the death of the, the superhero narrative, that mm-hmm. simplistic good and evil. Evil is this thing that kind of appears from without and then the goodies show up and have a battle with it and maybe take some damage, but then defeat it. And that's the end where Joker situates us much more in a sense that evil is within all of us. And we're all sort of responsible for it, especially if we just let it come, let it come out and don't do anything about it. Yeah. And it's more than that, actually. It's uh, well, the death of the superhero narrative it's also the death of postmodernism, right? I've been thinking. And postmodernism doesn't leave you anywhere, right? It leaves you with, um, you know, an infinite uh, regress or, um, you know, you, you have this total freedom, but you have absolutely no uh, parameters, you know? So I think that, um, I, I think that the death of the superhero or the, the superhero fatigue thing it's just it's an expression of postmodernism. Does that make sense? Mm. Mm. It's an expression of the the death of grand narratives, and uh, and being in this liminal in between space. Uh, and I've been th- this is sort of I guess Jordan Hall language. I don't have you had Jordan Hall on your podcast? No, in fact I reached out to him a couple of times, but didn't yeah. get through to him. I'd love to speak to yeah. him. Well, he's always talking about the liminal space, and I think the liminal space is um, is this place. Uh, I think Heidegger put it best. He says we're too late for God, gods and too early for being. Does that does that ring? Does that sound? Does that make any sense? We're like the the period of the gods is is kind of over, right? And uh, we're in this in between chaos space, and we don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and then the Joker arrives in that moment as a warning and also a possibility. Yes. And it's interesting. He, he is a warning about what awaits us in this landscape where we don't know what to aim for. But mm-hmm. we have the possibility of simulating what would i say prestige through getting attention exactly yeah so he's the monster of attention in a way right you know he's he's the person who is who's you know uh, the most marginal abandoned character in in society and he's his his realization is that he can gain power through attention okay even though there's no actual positive narrative behind his power it's just power for the sake of power and it's 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 um it's the positive embrace of nihilism or nihilism i i, I don't never know what 
how to call it. Because in France, we say nihilism. I live in France. and So it's a positive embrace of, uh, of nihilism, right? Mm. And we spoke about this transition from the zombie, right? Uh, I, I, I got this um, sort of train of thought from John Verveke, and, and he was suggesting that maybe the, the zombie mythos, which is pure nihilism, 100% nihilism, there's just no meaning if you're a zombie, right? To, um, to the Joker, which is the positive embrace of nihilism. Does that make any sense? Yeah, you know, I'm thinking, I think there's a line that you put it quite nicely as well, that the zombie is, is freedom, but devoid of any responsibility for things. The zombie right. is free to mindlessly roam and devour all and devour consciousness as well. Where mm-hmm. then the shift with Joker, it's like the zombie wakes up and discovers this agency it has without actually realizing any of its need to take responsibility. So it's just chaotic consumption, destruction, and that knows how powerful it is and can scheme. Right. Because we're all very powerful, right? We're all very powerful. Uh, uh, we all have a lot of more agency than we think. And we can use that, you know, to generate, you know, positive, you know, generative consequences. Uh-huh. Or we can go down the dark path of resentment, bitterness, you know, gleeful. Um, I, I like the word glee because... Because the Joker is, 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 is a gleeful person. He's, he's enjoying himself you know, mm. as, he's, as he's tearing apart society. He, he likes it. He, he thinks that it, it gives him a feeling of, of uh, you know, elan or um, joy to destroy something. Uh-huh. Mm, there's something... The- darkly comedy darkly comedic and i'm thinking that yeah sometimes i mean the benefit of of comedy done right is that it breaks us out of our narrow box thinking and getting wrapped up in how serious and important everything is you know sometimes when life is getting overwhelming or you're losing sight of things you can just laugh and go oh my god it's all kind of absurd isn't it and have a bit of a Mm -hmm. laugh and relax but then joker seems to take that and it's still that mentality of this is all absurd, but it loses the sense of like, okay, let's mock the thing we're doing while still doing it and just become, let's mock it completely. It, it's so absurd. We might as well just revel in the absurdity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And on one level, the, the, the Joker, there's a logic to, to the Joker, right? Um, he, he's right. Uh, you know, existence is absurd. It, it is it is violent, you know. It is like you know the Red Queen in in Alice in Wonderland. It's just off with your head, you know. She's just that's just, you know. You look at you know look at existence, and, and you you can look at that, and uh, and you can say that the the it's actually surprising that 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 we don't fall into into that, right? That we somehow are are on a thread of of meaning still. Mm that we're still following a thread of meaning, that we still have meaning in our lives, that we, that we don't just degenerate in, into that, that state. So that's, mm. the, the fragile, that's the fragile sort of um, 
humanity that still remains uh, within us, you know, and, 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 and the Joker, he goes, he goes, he goes over that line. Uh -huh. And so it's, it's a cautionary tale of what happens when you go over the line. And I, and I think in a way that's the danger that we're facing in, in, in the future is, is individuals um, uh, just, just going over the line. Right. And then finding themselves with incredible power to attract attention and then starting a cult or, or you know, an ISIS like cult or, a, um, you know, it could be something that appears more benevolent, but actually has a dark darkness in it. Um, and, uh, and, uh, just, just not, not losing the thread, uh, the golden thread of meaning, <laughs> you could call it. Mm. The word attention is hanging in my mind now and I'm thinking of it in, I think it's Latin root, which literally means about thinning, tenuo, it's like thinning down and focusing, which again is something like meaning, finding that thread of meaning amidst mm. the chaos. And you can also, I suppose, think about that through the lens of, you know, John Vivekis thought around relevance realization. Mm -hmm. Um where am I going with this? It's attention oh. is, is key. And I suppose perhaps the issue in this postmodern informational world we live in, it's like, what the fuck do you pay attention to? Mm -hmm. And, and John Vervecki calls that a, a combinatorial explosion. I think it's like, there's so many options. There's so many channels. Um, and it, it just reduces itself absurdly so everyone is an option everyone is a channel any reality is a possibility you know any um so so you know where do i live where where am i right now you know, you know i live in france i'm talking to you in, in, in english and uh, and you're in london and um you know you have your networks and friends and i have mine and and, and we don't really know where we are or where we're going uh, in some sense right and so it would be very easy to get lost in that infinite sea of possibility. So freedom, right? Freedom is not freedom, you know, because, <laughs> because if you have, if you have unlimited freedom, you're completely uh, imprisoned by a possibility. And that's the problem with the Joker, right? He has unlimited, uh, in, in a way he, he realizes he has unlimited options. He can do whatever he wants. He's gone beyond good or evil. Um, and so his freedom becomes this, this you know, because we, because we, uh, this is, I guess this is sort of the Jordan Petersonian insight, right? Is that unlimited freedom is, is what we're, we're, we've been aiming for. And, and now in a way there's maybe we have quite a lot of freedom and we have a lot of freedom, but, but what's next if you have unlimited freedom, you know, um, and, uh, and, and then you have to sort of build the world from that. Uh, are you following or am I, am I rambling here <laughs> too much? No, I'm following. I'm following. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, there's this interesting saying that I've heard, do you know, Jocko Willink, the badass U S Navy seal? Sure, it? sure, sure. Yeah. And it is one of his saying that discipline equals freedom. Right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Submitting yeah. yourself to the discipline, which is hard and grueling. And sometimes you don't want to do it. That actually enables a higher sort of freedom. There's sort of, tier one freedom which is just do everything mm -hmm. and then there's tier mm -hmm. two freedom which is a freedom that is enabled by a sacrifice of a bunch of this freedom exactly um, yeah what are you going to sacrifice yeah 
So if, if you want to be free in some way in your life, you know, what are you going to sacrifice for that, for that freedom? Uh, and, um, and, uh, you know, and if you don't have this notion of sacrifices, if you have no, this notion of giving up, you just want to acquire more and more, uh, stuff or information or experience or, uh -huh. but then you end up, uh, kind of crazy, I think. Because, because, because you haven't come down to the earth, you haven't come down to, because uh, the earth, you know, you, you need to, you need to sort of have a. Const I, I am rambling a bit here, but I think you need to have a constructive notion of, of your life on, on some level. You have to, you have, you have to, you have to ground yourself in basic elemental re realities. Mm. Are you thinking here of Heidegger when he talks about coming to terms with your own, I suppose, mortality? I haven't read Heidegger, but I'm, I feel like that's one of the themes. Yeah, um, being in time, right? So, so the 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 fact that you know that your there's a limitation in your life, right? That your life is you have a limitation. The limitation is you have a certain amount of years, right? And then and then and then so you're you're aware of the fact that you're 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 mortal you're going to die uh-huh um this creates the value of life this creates the the luminosity of uh, the a sort of um transparency and numinosity of of, of life in the in that it, it's 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 always moving into cycles of living and dying um and uh and the fact that the 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 awareness of death i mean i i've read heidegger but I, but i'm not sure if i'm I'm understanding him at the most nuanced level, but um, the understanding, uh, you know, of, of death on, on some level is is what opens up the sort of infinitude of possible infinitude of meaning and beauty within life. That's kind of what I get from Heidegger, mm. and that there's not a fixed sort of stopping point. You know, there's no, even when you talk about concepts and ideas, Heidegger's idea of, of an idea, an idea is not a fixed concept. It's not a, it has no parameter around it. It's, uh, you know, you, you deepen and you deepen and you deepen your understanding of something and it, it has a, it reveals something new each time. So you don't get stuck anywhere in, in a concept or a, a notion of, of what reality mm. is. Right. And that speaking about depth makes me think again about, what we're talking about, about just freedom and especially freedom as is enabled in consumer culture where you have mm. everything on a shelf or at least theoretically everything on a shelf, but the depth you can't get on a shelf mm -hmm. because the depth yeah. comes through uh, just time. I suppose time is what gives depth to mm -hmm. experience and, and, and reveals things to you that you need to know about about yourself i was thinking about this in terms of the word apocalypse which means to reveal right it, it, we have a, we have a kind of corny or, or cheesy version of what the word apocalypse means but it actually means something like to uncover or, or to reveal and so we all kind of go through our own personal apocalypse and you know we see the world fall apart around us and then and then uh, and then we see what is revealed 
Yeah, it's interesting me thinking that I feel like in some sense I've gone through a bit of that in my own life in maybe the last year or so, which I could say perhaps is a mm-hmm. move from being <laughs> very much like a young man filled with with just fantasies about what could be to actually putting some things into action and being like, okay, shit, this takes a lot of time and investment. And <laughs> even I think doing the podcast, which has been getting me to meet guys like yourself who are older and a lot wiser and a lot more experienced. It's like, okay, shit, you can't fake it. Yeah. I was 23 with a fantasy about you know, being like the wisest guy ever by the time I was 25. And it's like, no, that just doesn't work that way. That's, well, we could talk about the Joker. If we're, we're still on the thread of the Joker, and we could talk about the Joker in terms of young men, because that's an interesting subject for me. Because I'm a teacher, uh, I teach at these kind of engineering universities, so my background is more in literature and and more in uh, you know the arts. But but I, I since I I've lived in Paris, I've been working at sort of engineers and business schools, and they're often young men, right? And um, and uh, uh, oh. What you're saying, I think, is, is a common feeling for, for young guys. Like, uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I think, I think what's missing uh, is um, having people who are older than them to, to, to look up to in some certain uh, sense and, and to, to also to have these kind of conversations with. So it's great to have intergenerational conversations and it's also somehow in the in an age of egalitarianism everybody's supposed to be equal and we are equal right i think as souls but but um but there is also you know when i was younger i I had a lot of heroes it was important to have heroes it was important to have people that you admire and respect and look up to and model yourself on you know constantly right and um, when I, sometimes when I talk to my students, I'm very surprised that they don't have heroes or that they don't have people that they um, that they kind of worship in a religious sense, <laughs> um, in a quasi-religious sense, you know, um, uh, you know. And I always feel that this quality of worship is what actually makes you more um, more you, right? Uh, uh, rather than just trying to be myself, which is, is how we kind of think of it. We kind of think of it in a very individualistic way. Like I got to be more myself. Um, I want to be myself. I want to be, you know, and so, so we end up into the solipsistic kind of um, uh, narcissism, which is, 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 is the, the joker again, right? He's the malevolent narcissist, right? Uh, He's the, the guy who's just, he's trying to be, he's, he's trying to, in the beginning, he wants to make everybody happy. You know, he wants to make children smile and, and laugh and, and, uh, and he, and, um, um, but he, he's lost in his, his, his own, his own world. He has no father and no mother. He's fatherless and motherless, right? He died. Mm. So there's no, when you talk about depth, depth always has a, I wouldn't say hierarchy in the sense of authority, I would say hierarchy in the sense of depth, if that makes any sense. Mm. And I think what I was thinking when you were talking about those, say, relationships with, with heroes is about a kind of intimacy with someone or something, but probably someone who is more than where you are now, but holds the prospect of you maybe being there one day. Yeah, and establishing exactly. that. 
personal connection with it is perhaps a key part of, of development. And if that isn't there, then there's only the option left for intimacy with, with oneself peers. or those who are immediately around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and it, it works on all levels, right? So I'm 48 years old. Um, you're, in, you're in your late 20s, is, is that right? I'm 24. 24, young 20s. Okay, so, so yeah, you're, you're a precocious 24 year old. And, and uh, you know, I'm a bit older than you. And then I, I, there's, and then I still at age 48 look to people who are older than me and uh, who have had more life experience than me. And I, 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 try to, I try to be in the vicinity of those kind of people, right? You know? Mm. Um, you know, so, so, uh, so I study with a, a you know, a, a teacher um, in the United States and, and I work, you know, I work intensely on ideas with Alexander Bard and, and, you know, he's, he's older than me. And, um, and so, so, so I think that that's always a process. You should always be sort of looking up to something, you know, rather than just looking in yourself or at yourself or, you know, and that's what the Joker does. He's always looking at himself and, and, you know, well that, and, but then also I think he looks up to that guy who oh, is on the TV. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I've forgotten his name, but I'm getting, no, I'm I, getting that. I'm getting that wrong actually. Yeah. Yeah. He does have a, uh, he does have a model, but his model is, um, uh, that's a good point because there's a difference between having uh, somebody you look up to and that inspires you and there's, and someone who you kind of hero worship. Right. So I did say that, yes, you should have, you should sort of, when you're in your, you should, you should, you know, have these models and stuff like this. But on the other hand, um, this, this guy, this talk show host, whatever it's, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of the, He's kind of the missing father for the for this for this character, right? He's looking for a father, and and, and this kind of person is supposed to fill the gap as his father, and um, and um, and they have yeah they have a, a power relationship rather than uh, you know uh, a generative teacher student relationship. So it's a relationship probably of power rather than intimacy. Mm, and I think there's something very not corrupt, but kind of wrong about that relationship. You know, I think there's a sense it's ambiguous what the talk show host is really like, but you do get the sense that maybe he just got Joker on to get a few cheap laughs. Yeah, and, well, um, he doesn't. He doesn't respect a jo Joker. He he just makes fun of him. He's Joker. He he's he he, he ridicules and humiliates the, this character, and then the character you know wants to kill his father in the Oedipal sense, right? Yeah, and it's like the and he's an empty father in in a sense. He's like mm. a, in the position of being a father, but doesn't actually want to take responsibility for those who look up to him. Right, he himself is an empty father. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and you know, like I'm thinking now, um, there's one of Jordan Hall's pieces. I think it's you know the Deep Code essays, and he's talking about the breakdown of the era of broadcast media broadcast mm. media is yep. unidirectional and so mimics this sort of teacher student relationship but where one person is doing all the talking and the other person is just passive mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, with, it's a relationship of authority and it's a relationship that's uh, asymmetrical. It's not a relationship of growth. Mm. It's a relationship of um, control. And that plays out in this relationship that Joker has with the talk show host. But in some sense, the fact that he actually rebels against it and takes his agency there is symbolic of the death of that style of media and that way of organizing people in society. Exactly. Exactly. That's why this film is so interesting. Um, because it, it, it comes in this like in between moment that we've been talking about, right? Where, where, um, where all of these structures, right? I mean, people have been talking about them as what is it? Plan A or something? Plan A and plan B. Have you heard, have you heard that kind of? Yeah. Game jargon? A and game B. Is it? Sorry, excuse me. Game A and game B. So game A structures are all falling apart, right? Game A structures are not working. Uh, and game B structures, we don't know what they are. They, they, they haven't been born yet. So I've been thinking about this. Okay, either you can be a revolutionary, right? And go out on the street and try to tear down game A. Yeah. And, but if you do that, you're still playing game A. You know what I mean? And, and, and so, so that's, that's, again, the cautionary tale of the Joker. It's like he's just, he doesn't create anything. He just wants, he just has to murder his father, right? He has to murder this this figure, um, uh, so he hasn't. Uh, yeah, he, and and also so and and he has to. You know, he has to. He has to. I don't know. This is a very Freudian thing to say, but you know, you you kill your your father and 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 fuck your mother, right? That's the the Freudian the Freudian thing, yeah. And so uh, so that's that's his that's his strategy. And that what that's what makes him kind of into this free and demonic uh, character, but 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 the real thing to do is more like the Jordan Peterson thing to do is find your father at the bottom of the ocean, right? And uh, you know, and um, and and let's say find your your um, go you know go beyond your mother and develop a positive relationship with the world and you know, move out of the house and have a romantic relationship, right? Because I think he's deprived the Joker of that. I was talking to Jordan actually about that. And um, I was talking about, um, he was saying that uh, um, the young guys out there, right? We were talking about, I was talking about my students, engineers and kind of geeky type of guys who are, you know, a bit socially awkward, but very clever and intelligent and full of ideas and, and interesting people. Um, <clears throat> what they need to do is the self-discipline part, uh -huh. and that, and that, and what, and then, and then they have to, uh, and that will help them to get romantic partners, and and you know, or that will help them in their, and and that's actually the basis, right? That and that's what he's uh, deprived of, you know. Uh, he's like this incel sort of character, right? He's deprived of intimacy with a woman in in, uh, in an adult manner. Mm, yeah, and uh, so he remains forever with his mother. Um, and the only way he can get out of that is just to kill this mother image. And, and um, without having the proper, let's say, gratitude and 
um, and, and, and taking the transition that the transmission if, uh, that he needs from his mother and father to move on and, and create the new world or move into the new world or. Mm. Yeah. And then because he lacks that erotic intimacy with another person, it's just, mm. it, it's lacking elsewhere. Yeah, well. exactly. And it's in that he, and you remember he has this relationship with the woman and it's kind of a, it's a complete fantasy, right? He can't really make a connection to somebody. So he has to live in virtual reality all the time, right? He lives in a dream all the time. So he can't, he can't, he kind of, he can't get out of virtue, the virtuality, the dream, the, the fantasy, the childish sort of a fantasy of his life and he, he lives in this world of abstraction and, and, you know, you know, uh, and just clowning around and imagining things and watching TV. And um, he, 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 there's no bridge for him to the real world, to the, to, 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 uh, to creating the real world. Mm, and I think it's, it's clever the way that, film depicts his relationship and that it doesn't give you any sense at first that it is imagined and so you kind of play along with his yeah his fairy tale and then when it shows up that actually it was all a delusion you're like oh shit i was in that too yeah yeah it's it's the delusion of hope and fear right you know the buddhists say these are the two big delusions hope and fear right yeah so he has this hope and he imagines this this thing and and uh but he's but he's not on the ground. He's not. He hasn't landed on the ground. Hmm. I tell you what I'm thinking now is I spoke to Zach Stein recently on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I need to post that episode actually. And we were talking about education, that being his thing, but also about the project yeah. of civilization in perpetuity and mm. the sense of instilling within people and young people, all people, a sense of necessity to, to preserve what we have as humanity intergenerationally mm. and not just it be about you in the here and now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking again, that project of civilization and perpetuity is totally absent from Joker. And he was treated what it seems fairly shit by his parents his dad who knows who his dad is his mum just kind of embodies the devouring mother and then he's left with well i have no sense of responsibility to this world i'm just gonna create destruction and that is the child that i shall birth and it's a child that is going to annihilate itself yeah and it's also the birth of let's say adolf hitler and chairman mao and uh, all the dictators uh, are failed artists in a sense you know they, they, they were all poets and, you know, and they, they are uh, bad poets usually, uh, you know, are, you know, they, uh, um, and then they at one point felt that, uh, you know, the world, um, you know, the world was, was, um, had, they turned against the world, right. And, and, and turned towards power and violence. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I think Joker is a good study of 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 also that of that of that the early career of Hitler or something like that, yeah? mm-hmm. the early career of the dictator, and uh, Alexander and me were talking and he has a great phrase he calls the shadow of the phallus, um, 
And, uh, you know, the phallus would be a, a constructive principle, right? That you want a, a constructive, positive cr principle, you know, to, to build something beautiful in the world, you know, something like that. And if you don't have this, if you don't have the positive phallus, right? If you don't have this, you know, positive fatherly archetype behind you, right? Getting your back, then, then, uh, then the, the shadow phallus comes in. Okay, and 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 violence, you know, violence becomes um, that, that that becomes violence, and uh, that becomes that becomes um, you know power, control, violence, all the totalitarian you know uh, um, instincts rise to the to the surface. So, so he's he's. He's because Joker is badly fathered, or he has no particular father, or he has no father principle. You know, it's not just whether you have a father or not; it's whether you have this father principle deep inside you. Because you can't blame every, everything on your own biological father, right? It's more like you need the, the the father lineage and the mother lineage, you know, to be working, to be behind you, right? And and and, and to have your back. <laughs> um, and when you don't have that, then you you, you get lost in, in chaos. You, you know, you become the chaos monster or the chaos clown or the chaos, you know, th there's no rules anymore. There's no, there's no direction. There's mm. no protocol. There's no, yeah. And it's, it's meaning again. Okay. It's all about, it's all about, it's all about rediscovering meaning. I think. Yeah. I'm thinking about attention again now. And it's this sense that, given how many different things there are going on in our sensory perceptive field, our minds all the time, it's like we need to find something that will anchor us. And if you don't have that positive phallus, that positive ordering principle, that mm. I suppose is there to anchor all of the good and the higher possibilities and pull them out, then if that's mm. not there, it seems like the opposite happens or the negative and the shit because it's all there inside all of us or 99 percent mm -hmm. of us it's yeah more. yeah because we're it's not like joker is some weird guy out there joker is a potential within us right uh, uh you know within any guy any 20 year old or you know like any i guess what you could have you could have a probably female iteration of you know, uh, of joker but that would be maybe look a little different but um the monster basically is is in all of us it's 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 there and you have to watch it and you have to tame it and you have to you know if you, you can even you can even use it for for to to sort of in an alchem alchemic sense you know transmute something dark into gold or mm, yeah i have this saying we are the wolves that came to me once and it seems uh -huh. to be like it has that meaning. It's like the yeah. wolves, the darkness, the forces that destroy are also there. Yeah, yeah. It's fair. I, 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 it's they're all there, and and um, and, and we're we deny that, and we 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 run from that, and we're afraid of that, and we don't want to look at that, and we tr so we kind of cut ourselves in two, and we become sort of schizophrenic. You know, we we. We, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to look down there, right? We want to live in this platonic, abstract 
world of 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 things that work and are beautiful but but uh but but there's also this this need to go to go into the darkness and and meet the monster Mm, i think that's why joker made a bunch of people uncomfortable and they didn't like it it presents that yeah like it's funny i saw it and i was like okay this is definitely a dark uncomfortable movie but it also I love it. I feel like it's actually showing me something about myself and giving me that warning as to why it is important to mm-hmm. to, to connect to the things we're talking about. But I can only wonder if if perhaps there was less familiarity with the darkness then it just seems like, wow, this is a fucked up movie about a fucked up guy. And there's less of that ability to cross-identify. Yeah, well, it's true. I, I... Yeah, and I was thinking also that that the reaction to the movie was either this is a masterpiece or it was uh, this is a piece of shit, right? It's like there there were you know I, you know I, I can't I can't really judge whether it was a masterpiece or not. I think Joaquin's performance was uh, amazing, incredibly consummate, right? He put his whole being into that performance. So just for that alone, I think it was a great film. Um, but uh, but I think people people were bothered by the ambiguity ambiguity uh, sorry ambiguity of it, right? It didn't give you a clear narrative of what is good and what you know. It didn't it didn't you couldn't say ah this guy is one hundred percent bad or unjustified in what he did, and you couldn't say that um, you couldn't say you couldn't you couldn't say he was a victim one hundred percent. Although he definitely was a victim of a lot of abuse uh, you know there's there was just an ambiguity and in times of chaos and in times where people are confused they want something clear and and uh, they want a lifeboat right and a lifeboat is is is, is a kind of easy ideology that you know that that bypasses you know complexity and and um, so uh, so yeah I think the ideologues just instinctively thought, oh, this is a dangerous film. We need to write and say how bad it is. Uh-huh. And the people who understand art in some deep way understood that this film wasn't, you know, it was something. It had a, had a realism to it. it you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a sophomore movie, you know. So, so uh, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a obscure enough for maybe the, the art people either. So, you know, it just, it just, it just, it was just ambiguous and people and ambivalent. And, and, and I think good art is a bit ambiguous and ambivalent and takes you in places, takes you a little further than where you want to go. Right. Uh, it, it kind of, um, but without being, without knocking it over, you know, without, you know, hammering you with that, you just, it forces you to look at something that's not, that's that that's just uncomfortable. Mm. Well, I think I, my feeling when watching the movie was, this is an electric movie. It's very electric. It's very vibrant, but it's very uncomfortable. And I think that's why I liked it because I think when I'm in a space of discomfort, I think, ah, something's happening here. This is real, right? And when I'm in a space of just, you know, uh, when I'm watching uh, the average superhero movie, I'm bored in five minutes because, you know, it's, 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 it's all cute. It's all sentimental. It's all, it's, it's, maybe it's, maybe it's funny in some kind of not funny way. And, and, and so, so that's just boring, right? Yeah. Mm. But you have to like, maybe have developed a taste for, for edginess or, or, or want, want to go in an edgy direction at times. And, mm-hmm. 
and and are capable of seeing beauty and edginess together um mm, it's like beauty in the ugly rather than it just being in the the fairy tale yeah because there's something there was something there was something of beauty in that character and something also very repulsive and uncomfortable there was both and that's the ambivalent feeling mm. yeah i i like that well maybe this is a bit of a uh what's the word I don't know the word. You said something about good art, and maybe that's what good art is, is that it's mm -hmm. ambiguous. And I'm feeling slightly uncomfortable about deciding what is and isn't good art. I think that's, that's an mm. age-old question. But oh. there is, I think, a sense in which we're saturated by superficial art. And I would count most superhero movies among mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just... You, you can sit down and you know what's going to happen before it starts and what ends. And maybe you get a few yeah. surprises here and there, but he's a good guy and he's the bad guy. And then even just in our visual landscape as well, with media saturation, with advertising, yeah. there's no depth to anything. It's just this, this, this. Yeah. Like well, I feel. I, I think, I, I think uh, you can make a distinction on, on some level, uh -huh. but there's something you're saying that's true. And that is that life is art. You know, everything is art, right? Um, it's the, you know, and, and art should not be defined as being this or that or, or as, as music or visual or, or anything. Art should be, art should be practically, art should, um, art should be, art should pervade every, every domain of our existence from architecture to cooking to, to you know, to painting, to, to, to film, everything, right? And what's not art is what is not alive. Maybe I could put it that way. What is not really alive? And what is a cliche and what is a, what is a product? What is just something that is a, a repetition of, of some formula? Um, something that, that, that's just generated um, to uh, put us to sleep or to appease us in, in some kind of a way. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I watch this kind of bad art sometimes you know i just to, to because at the end of the day i'm my brain is tired and i don't want to engage with the world and so i i, I you go into a comfortable cocoon and 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 engage in something something meaningless but on the on the other hand even in those in those things there you might be able to find a little art in there somewhere right you might be able to find something something and you might be able to find art in something that's so kitschy and trashy that that it you know you almost, I almost prefer that sometimes than, than, than what's considered to be art or what, what the establishment considers to be art or what, what, what crap you find in galleries or, you know, <laughs> or the whole, you know, art business, right? Because art and business are not the same. I mean, business could be an art as well, I think. But I don't think art and business, uh, I think instrumentalization of art uh, for for money is usually a reduction of art. Um, if it's if 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 that's the the purpose, you know, that's the the end goal. And I, you know, so a movie like Joker, obviously the director put something into that 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 was not just about um, you know uh, generating you know um, making money. But I think I mean I think there was more to his his um his vision than that and so 
Mm. You know, I'm thinking of there's a comment that I think Jordan Peterson made in one of his conversations where he's talking about the work of Ayn Rand. I think it's Peterson. Mm-hmm. Basically saying yeah. it's good, but it's not art because it's ideology. Right. Yeah, and ideology consoles. kills art, definitely. Um, or at least uh, ideas don't kill art. I, you need ideas in art. You need uh, art, ideas, philosophy generates art. Um, but fixed, narrow, moralizing ideology is the death of art. You know, it's just, mm. it just kills it dead. It's just no longer art, as far as I'm concerned, right? I mean, perhaps we all have a different definition of, of what, what art is, but but uh you know and 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 i can see that there would be a plan uh sorry a game a version of art and a game b version of art and the game That's b version the game b version of art would be when art pervades your entire life right it's 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 the artfulness of everything you do you know which comes back to what you were talking about i think in terms of attention yeah cuz i think that's i think that's also uh, what matters in art is attention and ritual and um, how you how you organize the the world around you, but also your your you know your yourself and mm. Mm. well now I'm thinking of that distinction. I think it's is it Boo Boo who talks about I thou and I it, mm-hmm. and then art that is ideology or art that is propaganda treats perhaps itself like an it and you like an it. It's like, there's a message and it's going from here to here. Whereas mm-hmm. art that is, isn't that it can teach, but in a way that feels relational, you're in it mm-hmm. and you're a part yeah. of it. And it's, it's not so much telling you the things that you don't know, but telling you the things that you do know. And you see it and go, oh, yeah. Yeah. It makes you more intimate with reality. Uh, it doesn't push you away from reality or, or concretize reality or reify reality. It, it deepens reality. Um, and ma- it makes reality more luminous, more luminous. And, and um, You know, the it is when, yeah, the it is just, is, is, a, is a sort of, um, it's total instrumentality is a total, it's just a machine, right? And a machine is just runs and runs and runs and it's, and it, but it, but it has no, it has no intentionality. It has no, yeah, I guess art is also related to, to beauty in some sense. And so we, we can know what art is by, by knowing is this thing, you know, fucking ugly, right? This piece of architecture, you know, uh, uh, some of the, the architecture in the suburbs of Paris are just, they're a level of ugliness that you can't even imagine, right? They're just, there's so much ugliness there. And then, you, then you're in another part of Paris and, and you're like, there's this numinosity of, I don't know, intention, maybe, uh, you know, as you say, uh, attention that the people have paid to every stone and every, you know, and then, and then there's the depth of time that is, that has, uh, you know, has, has affected that neighborhood. Um, 
bringing us back to our Heideggerian idea of, of being in time, right? So, so time makes, makes something deeper. And, and the thing that endures, right? All these sort of horrendous arch architecture and ugliness and, and stuff, none of that endures in any, in any meaningful way. And I don't know if other art endures, you know, in deep time and the whole total time, but it, but it, but it, uh, it has an enduring quality. Hmm. I feel, uh, I do feel like I should add, I feel like there is still a distinction even between ugliness, between like beautiful ugliness mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. just like ugly ugliness. And what I mean by that is I think there, there have been some times when art can be so vulgar or abrasive that there is something transcendent about it in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's but that's the attention you put to it, right? That's the attention you put it. In. And I think that also has to do with decay. You know, I, 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 I there is a beauty when things start to decay, right? <laughs> uh, even if it's, it's kind of ugly, there's a beauty in decay, right? There's a beauty in decay because decay means that life is, is, is passing and new life is, is coming on. And there's also a beauty in waking up next to your lover when they haven't got their makeup on and their hair's a mess and they're not looking pretty and you still like i mean maybe that's not ugly but it's not this dressed up glitzy oh presentation. sure but that is ugly dressed up glitzy presentation is often you know there's often an ugliness to that isn't there i mean it's because it's because it's it's uh it doesn't breathe you know so i think it's a fine line yeah exactly you can I'm not saying, oh yeah, but I'm not saying, I don't mean beauty necessarily in a sort of aesthetic sense that there's these models of beauty and that's what they mean and that's what they are. Uh, yeah. Because it's something, again, it's something that is a, a bit ambivalent what it is. It's not something you want to define uh, in too rigid, a, a category, you know, on any kind of rigid category. Mm. Yeah, like I'm thinking in lacanian terminology almost like it, it brings you out of your symbolic and breaks you puts you into contact with the real which by definition is that which can't be symbolized mm. there you go well yeah and uh, but art is also about symbols but um in the sense that um a symbol is a compression i think uh, i haven't thought through th i think a compression of of something which can cannot be symbolized in any absolute sense. So you can say that a, a dog, when you say dog, it's a symbol of a dog, the word dog, but that doesn't capture or contain or, or say what the, what the dog is. So, so, um, so everything is a sort of, uh, you know, uh, everything w with language and, and all that art, art is using symbols to make symbols transparent, perhaps. I don't know if I've got that right, but that's just, that's my exploratory definition of symbols at this point.